This is a legacy episode of the Lesbian Historic Motif podcast, originally released as part of the Lesbian Talk Show podcast group. Some references may be obsolete. The show looks at lesbian-relevant themes in history and literature, has interviews and discussions about current historical fiction with queer female characters, including fantastic versions of the past, and presents new original historical fiction for your enjoyment. Today, the Lesbian Historic Motif Project is delighted to be talking to Adele Lane, whose new Italian Renaissance superhero FF romantic adventure, Merchants of Milan, came out in January. Welcome, Adele. Thank you. I'm so pleased to be here with you this evening. I hope you don't mind me tossing in that term superhero with all the other descriptions, but I definitely got this uh, vigilante superhero in the Renaissance vibe from the book. So maybe you'd like to tell the listeners a little bit about uh, Merchants of Milan. Okay, great. Well, um, it is set in 1502, and the sequel is going to be in 1502 and 1503. And it is in Milan, Italy, which has recently been taken over by France. And as France and Spain fought, fought over the uh, Italian city-states. But the reason for the choice of the setting was to in- include uh, references to Leonardo da Vinci, who spent a number of years in Milan and did some of his greatest works, including the Last Supper there in Milan and a number of other things. And I wanted to include him in the story, even though we never meet him, he's, he's central to everything that goes on. So Florentina is this uh, young woman who, her father was an assistant to da Vinci while he was in Milan. And so she grew up watching him and learning from him and getting all this vast store of information and because uh, her mother had died when she was an only child her father kind of indulged her and let her do things that weren't necessarily considered feminine at the time and so her father is murdered by this guy who is unhappy that he didn't deliver on weaponry that he wanted anyway he's kind of like a mob boss don of a big wealthy family and an arms merchant and so there is this thing in uh, Renaissance Italy that is called the vendetta and basically that's how murders were dealt with at the time they didn't have police detectives to go out and determine you know who had done it and arrest them and bring them in Uh, it was kind of up to the family members to enact justice and Don Benetto this uh, rich arms merchant didn't think anything would come of it because he knew that Luigi didn't have a son. What he didn't count on was the daughter fulfilling the vendetta. And so that's kind of where the story begins and she creates an alter ego because obviously being a young woman running around in her skirts, she couldn't really do anything and she's from a kind of a middle class background so she didn't have a ton of money and she has to go out and find a job and the only thing she's really well suited for is teaching because she spent her whole youth uh, in academic pursuits so that's kind of where we start she's created this alter ego that she doesn't even name but uh, her enemies call the night flyer I, I don't know if I should reveal how we know that. I guess the fo- the, the cover 
kind of reveals that she has this flying device, which was based on uh, Da Vinci's wing design. Yeah, and that's where the the whole superhero thing. I, I kept getting, you know, feeling a, a Batman vibe from it. You know. The... Yes. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> Has history always been a passion of yours? I know you have at least one other uh, FF book that is set in history. Um, yes, it is. I have always loved history. It's been my favorite subject all throughout school. I love historical movies and books. Um, and I taught history for 24, well, I didn't teach history for 24 years, but I did teach for 24 years, probably about 18 of that was teaching social studies and history. And I have a master's degree in history, so yeah, that's kind of where all that interest comes from. So what's either the most fun or the most challenging thing you encountered in terms of researching Merchants of Milan? Hmm. Well, the most fun thing was looking up all of the little known stuff about Leonardo da Vinci. The most challenging part was creating these steampunk-like devices and contraptions and, and stuff that she uses that we have no evidence actually existed at the time, and being able to kind of describe how they would work and make it believable. <laughs> so I know from experience how complicated it can be to try to research and get inside the heads of historic characters with regard to gender and sexuality issues. Did right. you have any particular challenges? Maybe you want to talk about the romance in the story a little bit. Okay. Well, we know that as long as there has been people, they have loved other people, which were not always necessarily the ones that society deemed they were allowed to, whether it be different races, same sex, or different, you know, nationalities or whatever. There have been societies said, no, you have to stick to these rules. And there's been people whose, you know, hearts and inclinations always went in other directions. That is nothing new under the sun that arrived with the 20th century. What is new is, to some regard, the it being okay. And that really depends on where you are, whether it's okay today or not. We do know that during the ancient Greek and Roman civilizations, they didn't really care. I mean, they had they didn't even have a word in the Greek language for homosexuality. They had three words for love, phileo, agape, and uh, eros. And that had to do with whether it was brotherly love, love for mankind, or romantic love. And romantic love could be between people of the same sex or opposite sexes. Well, when we get into Renaissance Italy, in particular, uh, more so than in Northern Europe, even though it's the seat of where the Pope lives and the Roman Catholic Church, people really started getting into this whole, what the classics did, what the ancient Greeks and Romans did. Humanism uh, really rose as a philosophy um, in the Italian city-states, and Therefore, there was a little bit more tolerance, I believe. I know we have looked at history and seen some of the artists who it was discovered, you know, were gay and nobody killed them or, you know, arrested them or did anything to them because they were making important contributions to society. So people kind of looked the other way. So it was a time period where there might have been a little more allowance. Now, we've always had women who disguise themselves as men to pass, 
not necessarily because they were lesbians. Some of them, particularly in the American Revolution and Civil War, just because they wanted to fight the war, would pretend uh, to be men. Of course, when Florentina is putting on her disguise, it's because, you know, only a man would be considered, you know, a vigilante or someone to go running about enacting justice upon someone who had done them wrong. That was not a woman's role, so she could only get away with it by pretending to be somebody else. Uh-huh. So the romance, the romance. Oh, Florentina has always been attracted to women, but never really had an opportunity to do anything about it. And when she meets Madalena, she just really falls for her. But, you know, there's nothing I can do about it. You know, I just have to worship her from afar kind of thing. Unbeknownst to her, Madalena has kind of taken a shine to Florentina. And being a from a wealthy family and being of privilege, she's had a few more opportunities. And uh, in her younger days, she had a fling with a female servant, which did not turn out well, but she did enjoy the, uh, the company. And she is a, a, a widow, so her husband was killed and she has these two young children. So she's in a position to pretty much do whatever she wants. She's got money, she's fulfilled her obligation to society. So she kind of, you know, somehow through through a course of uh, misadventures, they find out that they're attracted to each other. And then after that, that it kind of, the big obstacle to the romance doesn't become that they're both women. It becomes that they're employer and employee. And how is that going to work out? Uh-huh. So would you consider this a, a romance with adventures or an adventure with romance? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> That's a good one. I can tell you that I'm an author who drives a truck, not a truck driver who writes. <laughs> but uh, trying to determine whether or not this is more adventure or more romance, I I think to the general reader they would see it as adventure with a romance simply because it is a closed-door romance. I don't feel comfortable writing um, erotic scenes, and I don't think I'm good at it, so I, I don't <laughs> want to go there. But uh, there's definitely romance at the heart, um, excuse the pun, of the story. <laughs> You've led a pretty varied life. Uh, you've been a teacher. You're a truck driver now. For the audience, uh, we, we had to coordinate uh, when we could do the interview in the middle of one of uh, your cross-country drives. And now you've yes. got a publishing house that you set up to, it looks like it started out being just your works? Well, it is still just my works. So this is uh, Past and Prologue Press. Yes. Well, the story behind this is kind of short and sad and sweet all at the same time. I worked for a number of years after, about my first novel was published in 2002 under the name Melody Romeo, and um, it had great reviews and no sales because it was had to end up being self-published because I could never find a publisher, and I published it through an organization called Author House, and of course they wanted thousands of dollars if they were going to do any marketing on it, and I didn't have thousands of dollars, I was a broke school teacher. So I kind of pretty much didn't do much for a long time. But when I started driving the truck, then I had more money and I had more time. And 
And so I started writing a series of short stories and getting them published in various anthologies and other collective works, trying to find a publisher that I could do a novel with. And I finally did. And I found a publisher, and they liked my stuff, and I sent in my manuscript for Heart of Sherwood, and they were just thrilled to snatch it up and it came out really well, and I got these really nice royalty checks, and everything was going great. I got nominated for two big awards with that book. One of them I got runner-up, and the other one I won first place in. And then they said, oops, we hate to tell everybody, but um, we are going to have to close our doors and go out of business. Mm -hmm. And as of the end of July 2019, your book will no longer be available for uh -huh. purchase. Yeah, the sad truth about saying, small no, presses. I can't have that. I was so thrilled to finally find a publisher that took a chance on me. And they, you know, as many smaller presses and even middle-sized presses today are having such a hard financial time. And so I pretty much was up against a wall. Either I'm going to have a book that's going to be winning a Rainbow Award for historical lesbian fiction that nobody can buy or I'm going to have to publish it myself. And I spoke with some other people that I know who do self-publishing, and they said, well, you can do everything through Amazon. It won't cost you a penny. They'll just take the cut that a publisher would take, and all you have to do is create your own label and send them your stuff, and so that's what I've done. It's not like it's a really big deal. I don't do any publishing out of my house. It's all done through Amazon. Uh-huh. Yeah, when I when I looked at the website for Past and Prologue Press, it looked like you have ambitions to publish other people's works, maybe. Well, we'll see how it goes. I appreciate you going to the website. You're one of about 20 visitors who've been there. <laughs> uh, I, I do my research. Uh, yes, you do. I can attest to that. Um, I have been reading Daughter of Mystery and enjoying it very much. Oh, thank you. So you've written books under another name previously, Melody Romeo. What what's the difference between the two names you're writing under? I won't I won't ask whether either of them is your real name because <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Well, Melody Romeo writes pretty much historical thrillers. And most of them are have heterosexual relationships. They are uh, much darker. I have a horror uh, collection of horror short stories. I have a historical thriller uh, about Vlad the Impaler called Vlad a Novel. And when I start when I started writing for uh, Lesbian Publishing House, I wanted to have a different name for these stories because they're more happily ever after or happy for now endings. They are, have a much lighter tone to them, and of course they, they feature female-female romances. So I didn't want somebody who's looking for a happy ending to pick up this horrible, gory thing that's going to be very disturbing and give them nightmares. And likewise, I didn't want someone who was uh, looking for uh, their latest thrill fix to uh, say, what are these two women kissing in here? <laughs> so, so I just... Put, put the two uh, genres under different names. So it's a branding thing. Yeah. What projects are you working on now? What, what can we look forward to in the future? Well, I've 
obviously, Secrets of Milan, book two of the Night Flyer trilogy, and Chaos in Milan, book three of the Night Flyer trilogy, which I'm hoping, God willing, that I will get both finished before the end of this year. Wow. I'm about a little more than, I'm a little more than halfway through with the second book. And uh, and then I'll have to get the the uh, the third one because they're all in my head. Uh-uh. It's just that some days I have lots of time and I can get a couple of chapters cranked out, and other days, uh, like today, I drove six hundred and thirty miles and it took twelve hours. <laughs> so um, I probably won't get any writing done today. <laughs> I've got those two, and I also have several unpublished manuscripts that just need a little sprucing up, and and then they could go out. Got quite a few irons in the fire. Yeah. So if people wanted to follow you on social media, where should they look? Well, Edel Lane has a Twitter page. Melody Romeo has Facebook and Instagram. And I would love for you to follow me. I'll follow you right back. Okay. Well, I will include links to those in the show notes, as well as links to any of the books we mentioned. And it's been a delight talking to you today. Well, it has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Lesbian Historic Motif podcast. See the show notes for links to people and topics. Most shows will have a transcript linked as well. If you have a book announcement, a topic suggestion, or might like to appear on the show, please drop me an email. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate it and subscribe on your favorite podcast app and consider supporting our Patreon 